0: hello everyone my name is haley elizabeth and if you don't know who i am this is my true crime podcast behind you where once a week i talk about a true crime case discussing all ranges of true crime, such as murder disappearances cults or even like the biggest drug bust in history the biggest bank heist in history all things true crime so if you're interested in any of that you can subscribe on the youtube channel and watch the visual version every wednesday or you can head over to spotify apple wherever you can find podcasts and listen to the audio version every tuesday and if not no pressure at all we're just here to vibe listen to some true crime there's no commitment here literally just come in and out whenever you want and i'm fine either way no commitment i'm just glad you're here with us today so the case we are going to be talking about today is the case of rex allen krebs now there is a lot to get through so let's just hop right into it rachel newhouse was born on june 16th of 1978 in california with her father Philip, her mother Montal and her younger brother Travis as well as her younger sister Ashley. Growing up, she was said to be an amazing child. She was also amazing in school as well. She got straight A, she had lots of friends, she played sports such as track and soccer. She went to Irvine High School in Orange County, California, and Rachel was described to be the type of like popular kid, but not the type of popular kid that That is like very snobby and you know talks about everyone behind their back. She was very very sweet. She was that type of popular girl that was like really involved in school spirit and like attended all the football games and would like to include all of the shyer people into like all of the school activities. That's just the type of person that she was and nothing really changed as far as her personality when she got to college. In 1998 she attended the California Polytechnic the State University or a lot of people just call it Cal Poly. She didn't live on campus though. She actually lived off campus with a couple of roommates and in order to pay rent she worked as a hostess and she lived with her roommates in a place called San Luis Obispo which is about a three-minute drive from her college. All of her roommates were super close to one another. Rachel was super close with all of her roommates especially her roommate Andrea. Her and Andrea would frequently go out and hang out with one another and it was on the night of November 12th 1998 where the two girls as well as a couple other girls went out for just a night out to have some drinks and dinner. All the girls went out to this restaurant called Tortilla Flats which was basically like a half bar half restaurant but in order to get into the bar section you need like a little stamp on the back of your hand proving that you're 21. Rachel and Andrea at the time were only 20 years. Was old so their one friend in their group was actually 21 so they did this trick where the 21 year old had licked the back of her hand so the stamp was wet and then just stamped that like imprint onto the back of the two girls' hands. When Rachel and Andrea went to go up to like the bouncer so that they could get in the bar, Rachel's uh, stamp did work but Andrea's didn't and so Andrea had to stay back on the restaurant side while Rachel. Rachel. Rachel went inside but Rachel didn't realize that Andrea wasn't behind her throughout the night Rachel as I said she was like a social butterfly she was just kind of talking to everyone she just kind of assumed that Andrea was off with like a couple of their friends and it wasn't until an hour later when Rachel went to the bathroom she noticed that Andrea was still on the restaurant side so she goes over to Andrea says what are you doing here and Andrea is very angry because she's like how did it take you this long for you to realize that I was gone like I thought that you would have you know turned around and wondered where I went. I literally had to sit here for an hour and this kind of sparked an argument between the two girls because Rachel was mad at Andrea for not speaking up and saying anything or trying to get her attention in any way But also Andrea was mad at Rachel because Rachel didn't even realize that Andrea was gone This argument was happening around midnight of that night and so Rachel at this point, you know, as I said, she had been drinking some drinks. So she was a little tipsy when this argument was going on. She's like, you know what? I'm done. I'm leaving. So Rachel leaves the bar entirely. Andrea was actually the one that drove all of the girls there. Andrea was supposed to be like the designated driver. But since Rachel and Andrea had just gotten into that fight, Rachel just didn't want to be in a car with Andrea right now. So Rachel decided to walk home. In order for her to get to her apartment, she needed to this bridge called Jennifer Street Bridge, which is a very creepy looking bridge. It's a bridge that no one really goes on, especially at night. And when she gets to the top of the bridge, that is when she sees a figure, but she can't really make out what it is. And then as she gets closer, she realizes that the figure is a tall man wearing a Halloween mask and staring at her. And as I said, since Rachel was tipsy, It took her a little while longer to really process what she was looking at, and so since her reaction time was slower, the person in the mask took this opportunity to lunge at Rachel and knock her over the head unconscious. The following morning on November 13th, a woman is actually jogging on that Jennifer Street bridge, and she noticed a puddle of dry blood on the middle of the bridge. She sees this blood going down the steps and then up. bunch of blood in the parking lot and then that's where it just stops and so you can kind of like figure out what may have happened like maybe someone dragged a bleeding body down the steps and into their car because it stopped in like the parking lot so the woman thought to call the police the police came out but unfortunately there were no cameras on that bridge so there was really nothing that they could do besides take some dna swatches of the blood and bring it in for testing that morning as well Rachel actually had a shift at her hostess job and she actually worked this hostess job with one of her roommates named Nicole and so when Rachel didn't show up to her shift that morning the manager had asked Nicole hey did you see Rachel this morning is she coming in and that's when Nicole realizes like whoa actually now that you say that I haven't seen Rachel all morning I think the last time I saw her was last night I don't remember if she even came home and so because of this Nicole then calls Rachel's family and asks if Rachel has spoken to them the family says no and that's when Rachel's family starts calling around to all of Rachel's friends the following day on November 14th of 1998 that is when the family filed a missing person's report for Rachel as well as making flyers for this search the police department really went all out they had helicopters search teams search Search dogs, volunteers, and the reason why they went all out for this specific search, two years prior, a Cal Poly student by the name of Kristen Smart was actually missing as well in the same exact way Rachel was. Kristen was having a night out with the girl, she got a little tipsy and walked home, and then she randomly went missing after that night. Since the two girls were drunk, walking home by themselves, and they were both Cal Poly students, the police speculated that possibly these two murders were connected they could be dealing with a serial killer so that's why they went all out for this search because they were trying to figure out who this killer was to prevent them from killing even more they even enlisted help from the fbi they got a bunch of reward money and they had this reward money um given to them through many things such as fraternities at cal poly were holding fundraisers to find rachel Um, There were reward monies coming in from family and friends, and all in all, the reward money went up to $100,000 to absolutely anyone who could offer any leads on the case. And unfortunately, three weeks later, the blood that they took at the Jennifer Bridge actually came up positive to Rachel's blood. But they didn't want to, you know, freak out people too much. They're like, okay, just because her blood is here does not mean she's dead she could still be alive, she could still come home. Now, unfortunately, they couldn't find any leads on where Rachel was for a whole three months and three months later on March 11th, that is when another girl also went missing. This woman went by the name of Andrea Crawford, not to be confused with Andrea. Andrea was the girl at the bar I was talking about earlier. This is a whole different girl and her name is Andrea, A-U-N-Drea. I just wanted to say that real quick because I know that their names sound very similar and I didn't want people to get confused. Andrea Crawford was born on July 10th of 1978 in Pasco, Franklin County, Washington. And similar to Rachel, she was a very good student. She was hardworking. People said that she was just a kind and warm-spirited person. She was kind of like everyone's comfort person. A lot of people also describe Andrea to have have a very contagious laugh. If you guys know or have like that one person that has a very specific laugh like you could be in a room filled with people and hear that person laugh and know exactly like who laughed and where that person is that's how Andrea was. She was not really much like athletic as a kid but more creative like she loved to draw she loved to do art and she also loved ballet and it was her dream as a child to be a professional ballerina but unfortunately when she was 16 she had suffered an injury in her feet and this led to her not being able to pursue ballet anymore. This took a really big toll on Andrea but Andrea was persistent to find her purpose in life. Her passions later shifted over to horseback riding and she was really really good at it. She won lots of trophies and medals and entered in all these competitions. Not only did she love horseback riding she also really loved cars as well. She loved fixing cars and revamping cars. And she actually owned a Mustang that her boyfriend said that, like, Andrea treated her Mustang like her child. Like, she would frequently get it washed. She would clean the insides, the outsides. Like, she would always make sure that it was perfect. And she loved driving around. In 1996, after she graduated high school, her and her mom moved to Clovis, California, And it was here she also, you know, started to make enough money where she was able to move out on her own. And that is when she moved out to San Luis Obispo, California. She went to Cuesta College and planned to transfer to Cal Poly when she was done there. So, as you can see already, like Andrea had so much going for her. Like, she was going to college, she lived out on her own, she had a nice car, she had a boyfriend, she had like future plans to go to a really Really good university March 11th of 1998 that is when Andrea was on the phone with a friend until about 2 45 in the morning and then she started to get tired so she hung up and went to bed during the night she woke up to her cat meowing and this wasn't really odd to Andrea because her cat recently just got surgery so she like knew that this was a very uncomfortable time for him so she kind of just assumes that that's why he was meowing and so on her way back to her bedroom, she went to the bathroom, and when she turned on her bathroom light, standing in the middle of her bathroom was a tall man wearing pantyhose over his head and a knife in his hand. Before she could even have time to react to what she was looking at, the man lunged at her and knocked her over the head, unconscious. Whilst Andrea was unconscious, he tied her arms, her wrists, and her ankles as well as putting duct tape over her mouth. He went into Andrea's room and grabbed a couple of her things such as a corn CD, a George straight CD, a few VHS tapes, and a magic eight ball keychain as well as taking one of her pillowcases to put over his head so she wouldn't know his identity. He took all of his things out to his truck and when he came back inside he noticed that Andrea was awake and struggling to get free so in a panic he just threw her over his shoulder and put her in the back of his truck and drove off the next day andrea's mom was trying to page andrea trying to you know just ask her how her day was and andrea wasn't responding which wasn't that big of a thing her mom was like oh you know she's a busy girl she's working she's going to school she has a boyfriend like she's probably just out doing something else and it wasn't until that day andrea had an appointment that she was very much looking forward to and her mom found out that andrea had missed that appointment and so it was then where mom knew that something was wrong. Around midnight that night her mom called the police and claimed Andrea as missing. The police acted fast on it and this case of course quickly got into the media because Rachel's case just happened four months prior and Rachel was currently still missing. So the media was thinking that maybe these two girls are connected. In the San Luis Obispo area there was a college killer like he targeted college girls and the police tried to kind of downplay the situation and say hey these two cases are not connected there's nothing to worry about but it wasn't until March 16th a couple days later a police officer is at the gym and he's reading the newspaper he reads a little bit about Andrea's disappearance and this disappearance and the way that it happened weirdly reminded the police officer of one of his parolees and that was 33 year old Rex Allen Krebs. So I know I don't usually tell the backstory of the killer, and if I do, I keep it very brief because to me, the most important person in this case are the victims, so I like to spend a lot of time talking about their backstories. But for this specific case, I will get into Rex's backstory just because it plays a bigger role later on when he is charged and going through trial for this. Rex was born on January 28th, of 1966, in Sand Point, Idaho, with his his mom, Connie, his dad, Alan, and his little sister. His parents actually had him when he was 18, and so since the parents were super young, they tended to be very reliable on their parents. As the couple got older, the father, Alan, couldn't really keep a job, so they were constantly moving in and out of Alan's grandparents' house. Later on, Rex's parents, Connie and Alan, developed a problem with alcohol abuse, and so whenever they would get drunk they would tend to be very vile to one another and fight all the time Alan when he did drink to become very physically abusive to Connie and so this went on for years and they even had two more children afterwards and one of these new children was actually mentally disabled so it made the situation a lot more stressful because you know if you have a child with a mental disability they need a lot more care and attention. And with a household like that, it's a very stressful and unfortunate situation to be in. Later down the road, Connie had gotten up the courage to leave Alan and take all of the kids with her. And so Connie left and Alan also left and got his own house on a farm. Shortly after Connie left she remarried to a man named Bob who was in the beginning a very nice man but as the relationship pursued he really started to show his true colors and he was basically like another Alan. He was very physically abusive to not only Connie but Rex as well. When Rex was 10 years old it was said that he was very defiant and uncontrollable so Connie made Rex move out with his father on his farmhouse. It was also said that Rex during school was heavily bullied due to his rage issues. He would tend to get angry very quickly and when he did get angry he would just like explode and start yelling and he got bullied for this because a lot of people found it funny like they would just try to push his buttons to the point where he would get really angry and explode and in school Rex would frequently sit in the principal's office but not because he got in trouble just because he found it very comforting to be able to talk to someone but unfortunately the school did not take this opportunity to help Rex or point him in the right direction. They basically just pushed Rex away and told him to go back to class and this led to Rex getting even worse in school. There was a situation where at 13 Rex had snuck into his neighbor's home and went into the neighbor's daughter's room and essentially uh, <laughs> let himself go if you're if you're picking up on putting down he he let himself go in this room and the mother and daughter actually came home whilst he was doing that and so they caught him and they freaked out they screamed they ran out of the house and they called the police but when the police arrived the neighbor said that she didn't want to press charges on Rex because he was just a 13 year old kid but instead she wants him psychiatrically evaluated Alan his father did get rex evaluated but it was only one time and that was it and then the following year rex would just get way worse when it came to his behavior he made prank calls he got into fights he would talk back etc and every time rex would act this way his father would beat him despite as much as his father beat him rex just kind of became numb to the abuse to where when his father would beat him it really wouldn't bother him as much anymore. Alan realized that, you know, Maybe my son has a little bit of a problem So he takes rex to a mental hospital and it was here He stayed for an entire month and he was diagnosed with antisocial behaviors and survived a traumatic Childhood the doctors decided that this family both sides of his family were very very toxic He just wouldn't thrive as a child if he were to be put back into there So they took rex away from his family and put him into a group home in Idaho. He lived at this group home for a year, and it was said that Rex really thrived at this group home. His anger issues got better, his social issues got better. He was really good at basketball. He did good in school, got good grades, he made good friends. There was this point after his year mark where he could either go into another group home, teenagers that aren't going back to their families anytime soon, but they're also not like legal adults to be be moved out on their own so he was going to go to that group home but instead he was like you know what I feel like I'm in a lot better of a place now I feel like now I can have a real relationship with my dad I'm just gonna move back in with my dad so he moves back in on um, the farmhouse with his dad Alan and at the time Alan had actually already had a girlfriend and a daughter and the girlfriend would say that she absolutely loved Rex but what she did hate was the way that Alan would treat Rex. Alan was just extremely harsh with Rex. He would call Rex names, he would make him do humiliating things, he would beat him. It was also when Rex returned as well where Alan would also kind of verbally abuse their own daughter because their own daughter had mental disabilities and Alan would mock their daughter. After a year with living with his dad, all of that progress had just been wiped like it had never even happened his behavior got even worse than it did before and then on February 3rd of 1987 when Rex was 17 years old him and his friends went out one night to go to an arcade and then afterwards they got drunk with a couple of friends there were two girls at the specific group that were 14 years old and 12 years old that were drinking with them Rex started to hit on the 12 year old girl which is absolutely disgusting. Even though the girl had told Rex multiple times that she was only 12 years old, Rex just continued to say that he didn't care how old she was. He just thought that she was pretty. This girl felt very uncomfortable but there was one point in the night where Rex was able to get the 12-year-old girl by herself and this is when Rex attempted to sexually assault the young girl. The 12-year-old girl had fought for her life and tried to get out and there were many times where she was able to get away from rex but rex would just chase her at one point during the chasing and attacking they both fell down this very steep hill but when she did fall she actually hit her head really bad on a rock to the point where rex actually felt like maybe she had gone unconscious or something but she didn't she just hit her head really really bad and for some reason this moment made rex snap out of it and he was was extremely apologetic. He was like, I'm so sorry. I don't know why I did that. Please don't tell anyone about this. Like this is a secret between you and me. And the 12 year old girl didn't say anything. She just got up and left, but she did say something. She went straight to the police afterwards. The next day, Rex was brought into the police station for questioning and Rex doesn't deny the whole thing, but he says that he doesn't remember anything. He said that him and his friends just got so drunk that night that he cannot remember anything that happened. They did not buy this at all. So they arrested Rex instead and he was given a 90-day sentence but only ended up serving 36 of those 90 days. Two months after his release, he also got arrested once again but this time it was for stealing a car and he ended up getting, and this is the most frustrating part, he got three years for stealing a car Now, compare the two. Compare sexual assault against a 12-year-old girl and stealing a car. Which crime do you think deserves more time in jail? I thought that part was so frustrating how Rex literally sexually assaulted a 12-year-old girl and only got like a little over a month whilst he attempted at stealing a car And got three years. The court saw that stealing a car was more important than stealing the innocence away from a 12 year old girl. After Rex served his sentence for three years, he decided to live in California with his mom. And his mom at the time had a new boyfriend. He just lived with the both of them and he got a job at Wendy's. It was actually at his job at Wendy's where he met a girl there. It was one of his co workers. And the girl and him, like, talked for a good week until all of a sudden Rex had proposed to the girl and obviously the girl said no because they had only been talking for a week and the girl also would later on to tell the police Rex had told her this story and said that Rex had been recently engaged to a girl named Lisa and Lisa was later raped and murdered by this one guy who was now in prison so the reason why Rex had gone to jail earlier for the grand theft auto is because he was trying to steal a car to get into the prison and find the guy that did this to Lisa and kill him and he even told the girl as well that he was successful in getting in the prison and killing the guy. I don't know if Rex thought that this was like a flex. By the way, this never happened. Like this, this was just a, this was a complete lie and it never happened. Rex told the girl this story thinking that it would impress her or something, but instead it just freaked her out that he would tell her something like that. And so that was another reason why she declined the proposal. Her declining the proposal just made Rex even more angry. On May 24th of 1987, that is when Rex would meet a 21 year old single mom. This mother, for the night, she had a sitter for her kids, and she was just, you know, sitting at home, you know, kind of bored, and so she decides to go down to this bar that her friend actually owned and just hang out with her friend until she closed. She went out to this bar, she hung out with her friend, drank some drinks. Rex had actually noticed this woman in the bar and said that she, quote, looked right through me and this for some reason offended rex that he wasn't getting attention from this pretty woman and so he ended up following her home because she walked home after the bar and the woman you know just did what she usually did she just walked on home she went upstairs went to her bed and went to sleep and then she said that 45 minutes later she woke up to a man over her with a hand over her mouth and saying don't scream he had a knife in his hand and he took the knife and cut all of the clothes off of her and tied her up and sexually assaulted her during the attack they heard a car approaching she looks out the window and realizes that it's her roommate that's home. So she looks to the man and says, that's my roommate, she's gonna come in here any minute. And the man just stops what he's doing and says extremely calm, quote, oh, have a nice day. And then he just walks out of the room. As soon as her roommate walks in, the woman is in a panic. She's telling her roommate everything that just happened and the two girls go straight to the police. The woman, when she was recounting her story, she said that the room was very, very dark and so she couldn't get a clear picture of what he looked like. And also when you're going through a situation like that, it's a very like blackout situation. You're so overwhelmed by everything going on you kind of forget or black out everything that's going on. Nothing really came of that situation unfortunately but one month later another single mom is woken up in the same exact way. In the middle of the night she's woken up by a man with a screwdriver on top of her but in this case her daughter was actually sleeping in bed with her. The woman kept on pleading with the man. And saying, please don't hurt me. Please don't hurt my daughter. My purse is over there. It has my wallet. Take all the money in there. You can take the entire purse. I don't care. Just please don't hurt us. And the man replied to the woman saying, Quote, I don't want your money. I want you. The daughter was crying and freaking out, and so she just ran underneath the bed. And this is I don't know even how to put it in words. Like it's just scary and disgusting and just like the little girl runs underneath the bed and after the daughter runs underneath the bed the man continues to sexually assault the woman. The woman is pleading with the man if they could please go in another room so that her daughter wasn't underneath the bed when all of this was happening. And after a couple of tries, um the man agreed and said, let's go to a different room and so on the way out the woman had noticed there was Hunting knife on the floor. She assumed that the man probably dropped this or something. So she picks up the knife and she attempts to stab the man, but was unsuccessful. This ended up just making the man mad. So he tries to attack her, and she eventually is able to get away from the man. And so she runs outside of her house and she starts screaming for her neighbors to come out and help. This scared the man, so he runs away and drives off but the neighbors were actually able to see the man drive off in his Volkswagen Beetle. So the woman tells her story to the police and she, same thing with the other woman, she said that the room was just extremely dark and she really couldn't get a clear picture of what the man looked like. So nothing could really come of it until a few weeks later, the woman goes back to the police and says that actually a month prior, there was a man that was working on her neighbor's garage and a Approached her and said, Hey, if you don't have a boyfriend or a husband, I could definitely come over sometime and help fix your garage as well. So the woman, without even thinking about it, she just says, You know, yeah, I'm actually divorced. I'm a single mom and my garage actually does need fixing if you can fix it. So right then and there, the man went and fixed her garage and he actually gave the woman his business card as well to just say, You know, if you ever need me again here's my card and the woman still had his business card so she handed the business card off to the police they look on the business card and the name was Rex Allen Krebs do a little bit of digging into Rex and they see all of his sexual assault charges as well as him owning a Volkswagen Beetle the same sort of car that the neighbors saw the intruder fly off in so they go to Rex's house and see that he has scratched on his nose then they tell Rex to come back with them to the station to have a little bit of questioning as well as fingerprints he agrees to go with them and he says the scratches were due to a fight he had gotten into the night before during the questioning Rex was asked if he had ever worked on this particular woman's garage before and to this Rex just says no but until the police show Rex his business card and is like well you never worked on this woman's Woman's garage, then how come she has your business card? And it was in that moment where Rex was like, Oh, wait, yeah, I did actually work on her garage, but I never went back there. That was like the only time I went there. The mother, as I said, didn't get a good look of Rex but the little girl unfortunately did know exactly what the man looked like and what he sounded like and so the daughter was actually the one that was able to see a picture of Rex and that is when she was able to correctly identify the intruder as Rex. After he was identified Rex had confessed to attacking both of the single moms and he told the courts that he was going to use his time In jail. He was basically just telling the court what they wanted to hear and say, hey, I'm going to take this time. As a mental health break i'm gonna take these 30 seconds that i'm gonna be spending in jail because most likely i'm not going to serve my entire sentence because i never have to really figure out what i'm gonna do with myself and why i react so violently and the court was like wow you know like he has a plan he's really he's gonna go for it the court ended up giving him 20 years for this crime but he only served 10 of them and even during his time there There was no such thing as trying to figure himself out and go to counseling meetings because in jail, for those who don't know, it's a really big no-no to be a registered sex offender. If you are a registered sex offender in jail, you are like getting beat up. A lot of people die if they're a registered sex offender. Rex didn't wanna tell anyone that he was in there for sexual assault because he knew that if the other people knew that he was a sexual assaulter, then he was either gonna die by the people there or he was going to get badly beaten up for it so instead he just told everyone that he had killed someone so that people would just leave him alone and so since he had this reputation to keep up he didn't want to go to council meetings or really work on himself because that would make him seem soft so instead he just went to nothing and really learned nothing during his 10-year sentence so with that being said now we're going back to the current day so Rachel is missing Andrea is missing and this police officer is at the gym reading the newspaper and Andrea's disappearance reminds him a lot of Rex and Rex at this point as I said had just gotten out of prison after serving only 10 years of his 20-year sentence and from the outside it seemed like Rex was doing really well you know Rex at this time he although he had just gotten out of prison he had a girlfriend he had a nice paying job he had his own home. Although Rex looked like he was doing good, the police officer just couldn't shake this deep gut feeling that something else was going on that he wasn't as good as he looked. So the police officer went to Rex's home and Rex is already in the front yard and Rex limps over to the police officer. Rex said that he fell over some wood and he hurt his ribs and that's why he was limping. The officer says that he's just there for a random urine test and Rex is like yeah of course here come on in. So he gives him the urine and the next day the officer returns again and does a check on the home to make sure that Rex isn't holding anything that goes against his parole and so whilst he's examining the household, he actually finds a BB gun which is extremely a breach of his parole so he takes the BB gun and he reports it to the other officers as well as saying like hey I know I just found this BB gun, but I just want to let you guys know I kind of have suspicion on Rex when it comes to these recent two missing women. I don't have any evidence to link them together. It's just, it's a gut feeling and I feel like he may have something to do with this. So the police hear the other officer out and is like, okay, well, we'll look into Rex and see if he had anything to do with it. But they do have to move forward with this BB gun violation. So they approach him at work one day day and they arrest him and bring him in for questioning. So they ask Rex, do you know why we brought you in today for questioning? And Rex just immediately says, oh, You're bringing me in for questioning because you wanna know more about the two missing girls. Obviously, like I'm a registered sex offender, the first person you're gonna look at is me, but I'm telling you right now that I had nothing to do with those two girls. He also told police that he's open to answering any questions they have for him as well as looking around his house if they wanna get a warrant, he has nothing to hide. The police are like, okay, yeah, if you have nothing to hide, then let's go to your house right now. Let's go to your house right now and investigate the area and see if there's anything there. Rex agrees and they go to his house and they're investigating the house and at first they don't really find anything except they come across this small box with a bunch of random things in it that didn't really seem like anything too significant to them. As they were looking through this little box of things, they came across a little magic eight ball keychain. Now, if you remember from earlier when Rex went into Andrea's room and got the corn CD, the George Strait CD. He also grabbed the magic eight ball keychain. So when they're done looking through the house they then look into Rex's car and they find in his car spots of blood, binoculars, duct tape, stain remover and one of the seats in the truck was missing because the type of truck that he had there was two seats in the front of the truck and then in the back of the truck there were also two more seats but they were facing towards each other so the back of the seat was facing the window sort of and one of those seats were gone from his truck so they brought him back in for questioning and when they asked him about the eight ball keychain rex just said that he found it somewhere randomly On the night of the assault on the single mom with her daughter sleeping in bed with her, um, as I said, the neighbors had seen this man run off in a Volkswagen Beetle and Rex owned a Volkswagen Beetle. So they just asked Rex, what were you doing at this woman's house with your Beetle? He actually says, yes, I was on that street that night, but I wasn't there to see the woman. I was actually there visiting some friends. Since, you know, Rex seems to just have an excuse for everything. there's really nothing that they could physically you know point Rex to the time of the crime with like yes of course that eight ball keychain was very significant They make millions of those eight ball keychains so it just wasn't enough to point him to the time of the crime so they just had to let Rex go and then a month later on April 22nd the police actually found the missing seat from Rex's truck and not only did they find the missing seat they also found Rachel's DNA on the seat. Now I wasn't able to figure out where exactly they found this missing seat I don't know if they They found it like in a junkyard or at someone's house but they did indeed find this seat with Rachel's DNA on it and when they went to Rex's home they found that the seat was a perfect fit to Rex's truck. So with this seat being a perfect match to Rex's car as well as Rachel's DNA on the seat they were able to point Rex to Rachel's disappearance and they were able to arrest rex when rex was brought back into questioning he kind of just realized he was at a dead-end road at this point like there was really nothing he could say that it could explain why rachel's dna was on his truck so that is when rex just starts to confess to all of his crimes starting with rachel he said on november 12th he was drinking very heavily one night and on his way driving home he noticed rachel walking home and thought she was pretty so as he started to follow her he noticed that she was about to walk onto the jennifer bridge so he races his car to the nearest parking lot he pulls out this Halloween mask that he had in his car and he rushed to the top of the bridge and waited for her as she crossed it and when Rachel was walking off of the bridge and she noticed the guy with the Halloween mask he realized that she was drunk and her reaction time was you know a little bit off so he took that to his advantage and attacked her he ended up knocking her out and then took her put her in the back of his truck and they both drove to the abandoned cabin nearby where he lived and it was at this abandoned cabin where Rachel had woke up and when she did wake up that's when Rex unfortunately sexually assaulted her and after the sexual assault he left to go back home to get some things from his house but when he came back to the cabin rachel was dead he says that he assumes how rachel died was that he had the ties around her wrists ankles pretty tight so she possibly just died due to the blood circulation or the struggle that she was going through police didn't really believe this the police didn't really believe that she could just die due to this struggle but they went along with it anyways. So he left Rachel's body there overnight and then the next morning he dug a hole where he usually chopped up wood so like the dirt over there was normally disturbed if the police did show up and examine the area and so that is where he had buried Rachel's body. He said that with Andrea, Andrea was a little bit more special to him because he had actually been stalking Andrea for a whole whole week prior to the attack on March 11th he said that one day he saw Andrea and thought that she was really pretty so he just stalked her figured out where she worked where she lived what she did and also found out that she lived alone and so then on March 11th he was sitting drunk in his truck one night and he drove over to Andrea's townhouse that she lived in um, which if you don't know what a townhouse is it's like one of those houses where on the outside it looks like one big house but it's actually like a house split in half so he drove over to her house one night and noticed that all of her lights were off and so something in him just told him to go in and break in and see what she was doing so he examined around the home and he was trying to find a way in but everything was locked every door every window except for a small bathroom window that he noticed was cracked open and it was said that the reason why why this bathroom window was left open in the first place is because before Andrea went to bed she actually took a shower and you know when you have a shower the whole bathroom gets super steamy so she just left the bathroom window open because she wanted to let all the steam out but just forgot to close it before she went to bed. So this is when Rex took this opportunity to sneak into the window and he had pantyhose on his head so that when he did sneak in She wouldn't be able to identify him. This is another very scary part to me in that Rex, as I said, when the police officer found Rex, he had that limp the reason why he had a limp was not because he fell over some wood it was because as he was trying to sneak into this bathroom window the window was so narrow that he could barely fit but something in him was so determined to get in that he squeezed himself in there and broke his ribs in the process and that's why he was limping all while he was trying to like get in through the window he was just so obsessed with his struggle that he didn't even realized that there was a cat meowing so the cat meowing is really what gave him away and then when he was successfully able to get into the bathroom he stood up and that's when Andrea walked into the bathroom turned on the light and saw him standing there before Andrea had a chance to scream he lunged at her and knocked her over the head unconscious he went into her room to grab some souvenirs as he calls it brought it out to the truck He came back, saw that she was awake, so he took her into the back of the truck, and same thing with Rachel, he drove Andrea out to this abandoned cabin. When he brought her to the abandoned cabin, he didn't sexually assault her yet, but instead just left her there overnight, and the next morning, he had the house all to himself, so he brought Andrea to his home. He would sexually assault Andrea, he would drink a lot, he would take naps in between his sexual assaults and there was this one specific time where he was napping and he woke up to the sound of Andrea trying to escape and so in a panic he ran over to Andrea and strangled her to death so he took her out to his backyard and buried her underneath his window after police hear these two stories about rachel and andrea they go out to the two places that he said rachel and andrea were buried and they were able to retrieve their bodies and return them back to the families to give them a proper burial and once the media got a hold of this story it was very explosive mostly people were very furious at the fact that rex had gotten such a little sentence for that sexual assault. If they would have just kept him in jail for his whole 20-year sentence or even gave him life in prison, these two girls still would have been alive. He sexually assaulted two girls and then was given a lesser sentence. And then when he was released, he moved on to something bigger and that was murdering girls. This situation was also very stressful for Rex's girlfriend because as I said, Rex had a girlfriend at the time. His girlfriend was actually actually pregnant so hearing all of this terrible stuff come out about rex and of course the media hounding the girlfriend asking her if she had anything to do with it or if she knew anything about it they asked him you know just flat out why did you do what you did and rex just replied quote if I'm not a monster, then I don't know what I am. He wasn't looking for fame. He wasn't looking for money. He wasn't looking for anything. It was just to fulfill his own fantasy and the adrenaline that came with it. So on March 19th of 2001, that is when his trial had began. And as I said earlier, it was important for me to talk about Rex's backstory. Rex's defense team tried to defend Rex and say that he did what he did because his hatred, for women stemmed from his hatred for his mother. So technically not even his fault because he was just a traumatized kid. Literally makes no sense. Like, oh my god, it's so frustrating. They tried to, you know, make Rex seem like this very traumatized child that, you know, had this hatred for women. And then when he drank, it just got worse because he was reminded of his hatred for his mom for sending him to live with his father. And he just had all this, you know, undigested trauma. And he doesn't need to go to prison, he needs psychiatric help. Rex said that when he drank, his quote, evil Rex was would come out and he knows that he won't act out again if he's given rehabilitation for his alcohol issues. So he basically said, please don't send me to jail. All I need is therapy and rehab and I won't offend again. The court was like, what are you talking about? Like this man is a monster like he had so many opportunities to learn his lesson to get the help he needed he had so many resources to do so yet instead he didn't do anything so the court only took four days to come to a decision and found Rex guilty and was sentenced to death on May 11th of and. As far as the aftermath of all of this, um, the bridge that Rachel was walking on that one night now has cameras. And as for today, in 2022, Rex Allen Krebs is still alive, but he is on death row at California's San Quentin State Prison with no set Death date. So he's still alive to this day. He's in prison, but he's on death row. So he's awaiting his death penalty. And yeah, so that is the end of today's video. Um, if you guys found today's video interesting, make sure to give it a thumbs up and subscribe if you're watching on YouTube or if you are on audio, make sure to rate it five stars on Spotify and Apple or wherever you can find podcasts. Researching this case was very, very frustrating because there are a lot of very frustrating parts as you can probably tell him getting more time for stealing a car than assaulting a 12 year old girl um the fact that he only served 10 years of his 20 year sentence even though he showed absolutely no progress in prison like he never went to counseling meetings he never did anything to improve himself andrea's boyfriend he spoke a lot about andrea and who she was as a person and their relationship together they were actually dating for eight months prior to this incident and they were in the middle of dating when the incident had occurred as far as Rachel's family they're doing the same thing just trying to live out her legacy and keep people informed about scary people like this as well as just you know trying to educate people on the issue that I just talked about where people will be given long sentences just so it looks like justice is served, but they will only serve a little bit of that sentence. And I think the reason why Rex would have been released so early was probably because of overcrowding purposes. Like he never went to counseling meetings. He never showed any progress. He never really showed any interest in how he wanted to be as a person, you know? So there's nothing we can really do unfortunately except just speak about it and make sure that issues like these are talked about and they're known so yeah that is all from me i hope you guys found today's video interesting and again if you did make sure to show its support on whatever platform you're listening to it on or watching it on i love you i love you love you and i will see you guys next week bye